Hello, Claremont. Welcome to yet another episode of Claremont Speaks. I'm Russ Binder, your host, as always, at least so far. And I have truly the pleasure and the honor of having with me today, Wendy Romalo. Now, she is the HLIC, would we call it, the head lady in charge of Moms Demand Action here in the Claremont or greater, what's the area of your kingdom here? We're serving the Pomona Valley. Pomona Valley. Oh, okay. What we understand is Claremont, Upland, Laverne, and Pomona. Gotcha. Okay. Anybody else that wants to associate with us. And I am the local group lead. Okay. I was not trying to oversell you, but okay. (laughs) Nonetheless, it's my pleasure. Wendy and I met on a recommendation about two weeks ago, and we had some conversations prior to the recording here today. And I was, two things, very impressed with how fast she wanted to go from let's talk about it to let's get recording. And the second, I was most impressed, though, with her passion for her topic. Moms Demand Action. What is that? What is your group about? Moms Demand Action is the largest grassroots organization in the country now to work in a bipartisan way with leaders, community members, law enforcement to prevent gun violence. It also works with Students Demand. You probably heard of those across the country as well. And in partnership with Every Town for Gun Safety, which is the research and policy arm of the organization. Mm -hmm. It has chapters in 50 states. From there, it's broken out into local groups like ours. Again, the goal is pretty simple. It's to work in a bipartisan way to reduce gun violence, which tragically impacts every city, every town, every community in the United States. Like we've said before, guns are apolitical, right? Bipartisan means just everybody. Just everybody. The tragedy in all of this is that it's 100% preventable. We know what to do. The solutions are common sense. They're not radical. We all have a part to play. I'm particularly inspired by the woman who founded Mom Demand. She likes to say, just find a piece of this that inspires you and you agree with and get to work. We don't have to agree on every measure, but if we can come together around one piece, just dig in, find something that inspires you that you're like, yep, I can agree to that and get moving. Well, in my recent podcast with the folks that recommended you, Raul Rodriguez and Julie Martin, they recommended that I talk to you. And I told them that, yeah, I'm really behind groups that have like demand action (laughs) in their name rather than why don't we think about this and then come up with a bunch of academic postulates that go nowhere? Yeah. I, I, I'm fully behind that. <laughs> it's not, let's demand another committee meeting, right? Or let's get a consultant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, no. How about a vote? No. How about just do something? Really? Like today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> so like I said, you jumped on from first acquaintance to being on the podcast right away. So you take action. Yay. <laughs> yes. And well, and Raul is very special. And in particular, he has inspired me as, as we've talked about. I'm new to the Claremont community. My family is not. But, you know, his example of service and commitment to community is why I was excited to live here. Really? Yes. This is small town action, right? <laughs> right. To, traceable to him. Yes, it is. Very good. It is. I'm not saying no. I just was like, that's great. Let's first give our listeners a little bit of a sense of you. You are a either, let's say, disillusioned or disenchanted lawyer. Is that right? I'm the most unlawyerly lawyer you will ever meet. So let's start with before you went to be a lawyer, what that was like going to school and then what happened soon after. Oh, goodness. I was raised by very conservative Midwestern parents uh, who came out to Los Angeles like most folks Back in the day from the Chicago area and Ohio to uh, California for sunnier days and fewer winters, I suppose, and good educations. But I was never supposed to go to college, certainly not law school. That really wasn't the track for me. So I just bounced around to a number of junior colleges trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life until I landed at Cal State Northridge and had a business law class. It was that aha moment. It was an epiphany. It was like, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. I'm done. So what happened? Describe the aha moment. Everybody likes to hear that. Well, it all made sense. At that point, I think I had switched to a political science major, and it just became a clear picture for me about this is how things are put together. This is how 
our society is supposed to be run. These are the rules of the game. I want to learn more about them. This is intriguing to me, and I think I can do something good with it. There was always an underlying piece of doing something good as opposed to just making money. And that was instilled in me by the religious part of my mom. She was a very religious-driven woman, very deeply committed to her faith, but not in a pious way, in a very tangible service way. While my dad was a staunch Republican, he was always moved by people like including John Kennedy and particularly Robert Kennedy on service and caring for the little guy. So that was always an underlying current, but I didn't know how to plug it in. And law school or the law in general was just the catalyst. It was the way to plug it in. So from that moment on, after I took those classes, I finished college shortly thereafter, finally. I was just done and then immediately went to McGeorge School of Law. And then from there, it was just the most glorious experience. So you ate up law school. Mm -hmm. I mean, you thought that was just like the best of the best. I went from a C at best student to graduating with honors to working for the U.S. Attorney's Office in law school to being on our moot court team and excelling at that. It was everything that I needed and more. So that lit your fire. Yes. Cool. Now, then what happened? You graduated. I graduated. With honors. With honors. And I came out. I don't know that law school, at least when I went, I don't know that they do a particularly good job of preparing students for the thereafter. They get you there. (laughs) They take your money. (laughs) They all do that. Yes. And they don't, at least when I went, and my hope is that that has gotten a lot better now, that, you know, you really have to build a career starting from the first day in law school. And that means your connections, your internships, the kind of specialties that you're working in, they all start very early on. I was kind of let loose. And when I came and found out what the now what looked like in Los Angeles when I came back home, it was very discouraging. I worked shortly for two private law firms and found that was just utterly repulsive in my book. One was criminal defense, private criminal defense. I just saw it as exploitive. Then the other was private civil defense, and I just found that brain-numbing. I couldn't sit around and do interrogatories and discovery all day. So did you have the moment where you go like, this isn't what I went to school for? Oh, of course. But what do you do with that when you have law loans and you need to make ends meet? It was a very dismal time. I went from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. Again, I guess I'll bring it back to my mom. I choke up a little bit because she passed away and I don't think she ever heard me say this to her. Oh, she'll hear it now. (laughs) I, I understand heaven has a absolutely Wonderful internet connection. (laughs) Two or three gigs, you know, high def, everything. (laughs) I would like to believe so because she was a little hard of hearing. She would always remind me that when you were feeling low and you didn't have a lot of direction or you were just, as we would call now, depressed, (laughs) she would say, get your mind off yourself and go do something for someone else. Nice. And so I did that. I took that to heart and I went and started volunteering with Catholic Big Brothers in Los Angeles. And from there, I met the woman that would send me on the trajectory for the rest of my career. Her name is Sandra Cuneo, and she worked for the Robert Kennedy Memorial in Washington, D.C. And she, too, is a lawyer. I told her what I was doing and why. And she's like, well, why don't you come work for me in D.C.? Just like that, sight unseen. I kind of have a feeling that she was in the practice of picking up stray dogs and stray lawyers. So after volunteering for Catholic Big Brothers, I went to work for her at the Robert Kennedy Memorial. That was as inspiring as you might assume it to be. Ethel Kennedy and her family had built a living memorial to Robert Kennedy, who was obviously, as we all know, was murdered in an act of gun violence. Mm -hmm. They had a national youth program that extended across the United States in three different cities. Interestingly enough, one back in L.A. 
So I worked for her and helped build up these programs and support students across the country. I was able to use my skills as a lawyer in a very meaningful way um, to help reduce gun violence in communities that were besieged at the time. East Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Anacostia, D.C. So now two things. One, you were able to see measurable results of your actions locally. Yes. Okay. Yes. And it actually rewarded you internally. Oh, yes. Very much so. So very good. Mm-hmm. Two checkboxes right there. Right? Yes. Where the other endeavor did neither. It did not. I felt very empowered that it was not all for naught, that you could take those skills and apply them in different directions. Now, as if you know anything about nonprofit work, not terribly financially stable, not a track to help you tackle those big law loans. So I had to make a decision on whether or not the East Coast and its lovely summers and brutal winters and this nonprofit work was going to pay the bills, pay the bills. Yeah. You know, help take care of me for the immediate future. So what'd you do? I had met and was able to work with an incredible group of people in East LA, including Father Greg Boyle. I don't know if you've heard of this gentleman. No, please explain. Not every listener has either. Oh, my goodness. Go straight to Amazon after this and get one of his books. He is a powerhouse of humanity in just one incredible, compassionate ball of fire. He is famous for saying, nothing stops a bullet like a job. He works with and has worked with Everyone that society has said, you cannot associate with those people. He is focused on gang members, former gang members, and has built a small empire of compassion and economic stability for largely young men and some women that have decided that they need to leave that gang life. But he never conditioned leaving gangs in his love or work with anyone. He would meet you where you are. He finds the humanity in everyone. So even being in the vicinity of someone like this, it inspires you to do great things. So because of my work with the memorial, I met him and a group of students that worked in East LA and with some irony, staff from Supervisor Molina's office, who was then the supervisor for the first district of LA County, now Hilda Solis's seat. When I came back home, they were looking for a justice deputy, someone to work on law enforcement issues, and I raised my hand and got the job. So I literally— Did your hand go up before you actually (laughs) thought about it? Yeah. One of the things that impressed me with our previous conversation was your passion for all this. It sounds like that took hold. It did. There's this little cadre of folks that are these legislative deputies that work for county supervisors. I'm not quite sure that they know that they have the best jobs in the entire world. Because imagine someone saying to me at that time, yeah, we have these positions. They're called legislative deputies, and you get to work on all of these issues affecting 10 million people in L.A. County, including the sheriff's department, probation, the nonprofit community and violence prevention, the DA, child welfare, the foster care system. You name it, you get to be involved in advising the supervisor on how to make things better. Deal me in. I'd almost do it for free. Yet you were able to do this and pay your bills. And pay my bills, yes. So then you joined that group, and yet you're here now. Mm -hmm. What happened there? The best decision I ever made in my life. So in that job, again, not ironically, I was working on gun litigation issues against the gun industry. And I met this handsome lad at a conference who was telling us about all of the pro-business policies that they had in where he worked for the mayor of Miami-Dade County to reward responsible gun manufacturers. So how you can influence that in your policy decisions at the county. He was a great speaker and had an incredible idea that I was determined to steal. (laughs) (laughs) I like the candor. It was was true. I'm going to rip this off. Yeah, I'm going to take your idea. Nobody's going to know that it started in Miami-Dade. County. I'll take that. I gave him my card. From there, we've been married this November 20 years. Yeah, we'll just skip over all that middle stuff. <laughs> yes, exactly. Now, I brought him back home, so I get to be the 
great daughter-in-law uh-huh. because he grew up a few blocks from where we live now in Claremont. Oh, nice. And would ride his bikes up here to the Claremont Colleges during the summer for summer school and worked at the Palm Tree Nursery that I'm sure the older residents of Claremont will Remember? Remember, yes. And so we knew of this community fondly. We chose at the time when we were getting married and starting out, the jobs were in Los Angeles. I brought him back from Miami and uh, we chose to start our family out in the San Fernando Valley. So did he have to like ditch all the, the loafers and pastel suits and the linen jackets <laughs> with the sleeves halfway up and all the hair gel? I don't know that he's ditched the hair gel, but definitely I can say with some authority that there is no pastel in his wardrobe. Anymore. <laughs> Anymore, for okay. sure. Yeah, but does he still have the Freud toner or whatever? <laughs> no. Okay. No. But when he moved back here, he started working for the the Brady organization, uh, Jim Brady and Sarah Brady's organization. As we all remember, Jim Brady is the man who took the bullet for President Ronald Reagan. So that organization was founded by the two of them, again, working on gun violence prevention mm-hmm. issues. And at the time, we had an assault weapons ban and we were safer. Never in a million years did you know we imagine that we'd be in a place where we are right now, where folks are just fighting for their lives against a behemoth that has grown out of control. Okay. And so then What was the aha moment or the catalyst that got you into Mom's Demand Action? Well, again, I'll bring it back to that core issue of service. After Uvalde, it's so sad to say this, but each time something like this happens, the fact that I even have to say each time something like this happens, something like this should never happen. We all probably thought after Sandy Hook that would be the end of this discussion, right? Or Columbine or pick anything. Yes. So... I'm here in Claremont, I'm new, and this happens with Uvalde. It was an instant reaction to reach out. I knew of Mom's Demand's work. I knew how effective they are. I understood that they reach people where they are on the political spectrum, but also in their ability to do something. Not every person has the same amount of time to give, Not everyone has the same amount of resources, and sometimes that puts folks off. This organization meets people where they are. If you have an hour a month, come on board. If you have two hours, if you can donate money, if you don't, if you can't donate money, whatever skill you have, there's a place for you in this movement. And if you have a wildly popular local podcast, all the better. (laughs) All the better. And so when this unspeakable tragedy happened, I immediately just reached out to the community. I said, is there a chapter here? Where are the moms? Where are you? And there wasn't. So it made perfect common sense to me. There was an opportunity. There was an opportunity, but I'm always driven to or attracted to those opportunities to engage people, to engage, to build community to educate and inform. You can do that in any number of ways. It doesn't have to be a paid position and you don't have to be a gun expert. I'm certainly not. While I probably have more working knowledge than the average bear, because of my background and education, I still don't know all there is to know about this. But this is a way to unite community around a very common sense issue that impacts all of us all the time. Yeah, I I like the common sense issue of don't get shot. You yes. Know, who, what's the counter argument to that? We don't want to get shot. And it's it and there really isn't. That's just the bottom line. There really isn't. The arguments come in the house, right? Correct. The house. Unfortunately, I was taking some time to look at some gun stats last night before we ha- we were going to have this little chat. While the number of guns in the country has obviously grown to a level that is making a lot of folks nervous, that just the amount of guns in circulation, it's still concentrated in a smaller group of folks, like the amount of weaponry. So there are 98 million people that have a gun. Of those, a third of those So we're getting down. A third of those have more than five weapons. Who needs more than five weapons? I don't know. But you start bringing it down. You see the funnel gets to go smaller, and yet the the social media ecosphere that we're in right now makes it seem 
so much more predominant than it is. Oh, it does that to everything. But what is true, what is beyond the smoke and mirrors, is that overwhelmingly Americans believe in common sense safety regulations for firearms, and they believe in common sense regulations that help support safer communities for themselves, for their kids. Those are the facts. So if you can get beyond the noise and get back to communicating with your neighbor, talking to your school board member, having a relationship with your city council members, talking to them, now we're going to do something. Now we can make progress. So let's then use that as a perfect segue to what it is Moms Demand Action does. You said there are just common sense rules and common sense actions and common sense steps people can take to make the guns that seem to be just everywhere all that much safer and certainly avoid the, if not the mass shootings, the accidental, you know, somebody underage playing with a gun and it goes off, now you're done. I mean, there is no walking back from that, right? So why don't we do this? Tell a little bit about those specific things that Moms Demand Action is advocating. Moms Demand Action, so again, they have chapters in every state. So unfortunately, in the United States, there are very few provisions that are federalized, right? So that are consistent state to state. So they work in each state to strengthen these common sense regulations like universal background checks, like policies for safe storage. California happens to have the strongest gun laws in the country, and that is great for us. The direct correlation between states with the strongest gun laws and the lowest death rates is a straight line. And California, for example, is 45th in the nation in death rates. So that's Pretty darn good. We're, we've who's shown first? who's first. Oh, I think the folks in Alabama and Georgia. Let's see. Alabama is fourth. I know that. And you can go on every town's website to get a ranking of every state by their gun rate deaths and their gun policies. So what they do is they work at each level, at the state level and at the local level, to strengthen these common sense measures. So let's just take the example that you gave. On the accidental death. That, yeah, I was just picking something, but it's up to but you. It, but it's, it happens to be one of the areas where we all have a role in making a huge impact. So while we see the devastating effects of something like Uvalde, the more common occurrence are deaths by handguns. And in California in particular, half of our gun deaths are suicides. So how are we getting those guns, right? How is this happening? And it usually happens by a gun that's not properly stored in the home. When we talk about safer communities, when we talk about safer schools, safety begins at home. It starts at home. So let's start talking about that. What can we do? We have gun storage laws in in the state of California. Wendy, without getting into the details of the hardware, where would somebody go to look for information on what a safely stored gun in their home would look like? How would somebody know they're doing all they could? Is there a website or something they can go to? Yes. The two that I would recommend would first be the California State AG's website. They have all of California's gun laws and the very specific requirements for gun storage. Wendy, I'll put that in the show notes. What Then the other one? Is besmartforkids.org. So that's a nonprofit that Moms Demand Action works with that has developed safe storage materials for schools all across the country based on your state's regulations. They provide specific examples of various kinds of weapons, the kinds of locks that are needed for each different kind of weapon, and a range on costs so that you can see what we're talking about on what it would cost to keep that gun safely stored. That's a great resource for folks wanting to learn how to keep their guns safe. And, of course, then they have to weigh it against the potential cost of not having it stored, and that is incalculable. Yeah, as you said, you can never walk that back. There's no amount of law enforcement that you can throw at that kind of an incident after the fact. We have to prevent gun deaths. You know, I recently met with Chief Fate. We were talking about the arrests at the Claremont Lodge and other motels here recently, Every week, it's a ghost gun. And then, of course, we had a homicide. But after the fact, 
there's nothing that can be done other than locking someone up that has done something intentionally. The harm remains, though. The harm remains. We have to prevent this from happening in the first place. I was up late last night getting ready for our interview, transferring some files, back window open, and I hear gunfire. I called 911 right away, you know, I mean, but they've, it's already done, is my point. It's after the fact. Yes. I mean, I just was hoping to prevent further. Yeah. I'm sure that most of your listeners woke up on July 4th, excited to go to the 4th of July park events and the parade. And when they heard about the events in the suburb outside of Highland Park, Highland Park outside of Chicago, I'm sure a lot of folks kind of went cold there for a minute because it could have been it's it's Claremont. Highland Park is Claremont. These guns are everywhere. The founder of Mom's Demand likes to put it in these terms. Even though California has such good gun laws, you're only as safe as the state next to you with the weakest gun laws. So for us, our compadres in Arizona and Nevada, guns come across state lines because that's what guns do. Mm -hmm. They don't stop at the border. They're magnetically attracted to money. Yes. So we all have to be informed, engaged, and stay vigilant on making sure that we put folks in office that will continue to push for the right laws, common sense laws, to help prevent this. It requires follow-up. It requires accountability, and that's us. I think if you look at the national conversation right now, people are understanding that they have to be engaged in their democracy in order to keep it. The same applies on this issue, that we need to make sure that the folks that we put in office are doing everything that they can to make sure that the laws that we say, hey, 80% of Californians, 86, 90%, whatever the percentage is, say that we support these gun laws and we put them on the books and we want to make sure they're enforced. And I'll give you a perfect example of where that rubber is hitting the road right now for us in Claremont and in L.A. County. Again, I'm sure when everyone picked up the paper and saw the tragedy of the two El Monte police officers that were shot and killed. And there was another one recently that was off-duty sitting in his car, just, Mm -hmm. right? But go ahead. They were called to an incident at a hotel near a freeway. This is all sound very familiar for those of us that read the courier and saw read it each week (laughs) yes and saw the the events at the claremont lodge and i immediately thought of our law enforcement personnel this is a small municipal police department they are outmanned and outgunned just like other ones just like laverne just like pomona these are community-based small municipal police agencies and they continue to put their lives on the line for us That easily could have been Claremont. The problem being that the folks that were involved in it were known to law enforcement, were known to the probation department, should never have had a gun in the first place. So we as voters need to make sure that we understand where that responsibility lies. We know now that the probation officers that are charged with supervision and integration of folks out of prison didn't visit the murderer of those El Monte police officers for 16 months. We have to say that's not acceptable and we're going to hold you accountable until you fix it. And so for the residents of Claremont, that is reaching back to Supervisor Barger and saying, Supervisor Barger, this is not acceptable. They need to be held accountable. We need to see change. We know that those are not the policies on the books. Enforce them. Now, may I ask two questions? Mm-hmm. In my, my normal life, rather than my secret identity here, as a quality supervisor, what we look for is root cause. That the parole officers are not visiting somebody for 16 months, is that because they are just overwhelmed or they don't feel like it? Which is it? Well, you can't get into the hearts and minds of individual officers, but we know. I mean, if they got 8 billion cases, okay. Exactly. But if they only have 12 and they just didn't get around to it, that's a different level of accountability. Accountability, if they're just overwhelmed, comes from a higher level. Accountability, if they just didn't do it and they had the time, the resources, and so forth, 
then that's at their level. Go ahead. And I think both of those issues need to be addressed because either either way they need to be fixed. Yeah, bottom Whether, line, the result is the result. But who so do we go? I'll give you punch? a perfect example. <laughs> so when, again, going back to when I worked for the county and handled child welfare issues, commonly part of the supervision problems were that, that the staff were overwhelmed. They had too many cases. You can't provide quality oversight and supervision. Hit and run and away we go. Next yeah, next case. Yes. If you have too many cases, they were simply overwhelmed. So that's that can always be a contributing factor. But we need to know the answer to that because the bottom line is whether it's the caseloads are too high or they just failed to do their job. Whatever the answer is to those questions, it needs to be fixed. So maybe less armed IRS agents and more parole (laughs) supervisors. (laughs) Well, this is a good example, though, of how the community members need to get engaged and informed on issues. Everyone's just trying to live and do their job and get from A to B and work and take care of their kids. And the morass that is government on how this gets done is it's not on their plate on a daily basis. So when you begin to have conversation and when you begin to learn and you talk to other community members and you start to get organized, you learn, hey, this is actually a responsibility at the county level. This is something our taxes go toward. So this is something we can fix, right? You're wanting to get our money's worth. If we're paying for this and not getting it, I think that is all you need to step on somebody and say, no, look, we need to get what we're paying for. Tragically, the effects of gun violence, so let's just take the horrific loss of life in the Amante police officers example. These costs total about $40 $40 billion in the state of California, $1 billion from taxpayers alone. Yes, we want our money back. Um, I want the results. Yes. Keep the money. Fix it. F- fix it. That's a, just me. And then some. But again, there's no amount of law enforcement personnel that can fix the tragedy after this occurs. But it's the prevention. It's the prevention part. And so in this particular example, the prevention part, was supposed to be our probation office. Those are the folks who are engaged in the job, paid for by the taxpayers, to help integrate folks back into the community and to supervise them. Specifically, that's in the job description, to supervise them. So what we know, again, from that case is that they had heard that there were reports that individual was off the rails again, that they were involved in drugs, that they had gotten a gun, that obviously they're not legally allowed to have. And so the cries for help were there and were ignored. But that's one example, right, of where even though California has strong gun laws, to the extent that they're not enforced, to the extent that we're not doing our job to hold elected officials accountable, then there are going to be these things. So again, we all have a part to play. Just by you and I having a conversation about this, it's going to raise awareness, right? That's one missing piece. We started talking about the missing piece that was us at home on storing our guns Mm -hmm. safely to help prevent unintentional gun deaths. Again, I can't imagine how horrific it would be to be a parent and to come in and see that one child has shot and killed another child in your home. There's no saving that life afterwards. Right. Or even yeah. if it were residual damage there is, why have it? Well, the, and we know, again, the costs and the residual damage to that family and our community goes on for generations. I mean, my father, he witnessed his sister committing suicide, and that trauma lived with him forever. There was no getting over that. It was stuck with him, and he had a lifetime of mental health challenges as a result of it. There is no greater issue to become engaged and to work with your neighbors to change than this issue. Right after Uvalde, our mayor, Jed Liano, posted in Facebook about how the same issue scares him with his little boy, Wells, that dropping him off to school in the morning might be it. And I think that is shared by every parent. I mean, Wells is, what, eight or nine? And Every parent has to see Uvalde and has to see these things and just think, it could be me. It could be my son. It could be my daughter. So to that end, let me ask this. You've mentioned two things. One is electing officials that'll 
do something. Who is that and how do we do that? The second question is, you demand action. Moms demand action. You mentioned earlier you talked with Chief Fate. Mm -hmm. You discussed having the police do an education seminar of some sort. Is that right? We talked about joining forces and partnering on educating about gun storage. Right. Yes, about safe gun storage. As September is upon us and it's Suicide Prevention Month. Perfect. Moms Demand across the country is rolling out educational events to help engage and educate the community about this. And we have incredible resources. And our hope is to do this work with Chief Fate and the police department in partnership with Tri-City Mental Health. I know you've had a conversation with Remy Hundell, who's just fantastic. Couldn't agree more. And more people in the community need to know about the resources that they have at their fingertips. Because unlike, again, I'm coming from a perspective that knows the larger operations of L.A. County. And it's massive, and it's very difficult to get through. Claremont, Pomona, and Laverne have their own mental health authority. That could not be more important, especially on this issue, because as a parent myself of two school-aged children, yes, I do worry about their safety. I'm just going to be very candid. Just by the way. Sure. Always be so. Yes. Always be so. When you're on my program, fear not. (laughs) Don't be shy. Be candid. I fear for their safety like everyone else, but I'm also keenly aware that the risks again, to my sons, are less about a mass shooter than they are, again, about an accidental death, going to someone's home where guns aren't stored properly, and kids being kids. When I was a kid, my dad was in the armed services. He was in the army. And we knew he had a rifle and we knew he had it stacked away. And my brothers and I, at one point, I remember climbing into the attic looking for that gun. Kids are dumb. Reinforced with my experience as a parent. They, they do these things, not, and that's just normal kid behavior. You know, getting back to your question about, and you brought up the mayor and just about the concern on safety in schools. So, yes, like every normal parent, I'm concerned about the and how can you not be about mass shootings? But on, on the daily, it is, again, what is what we know on the facts to be the more predominant concern, and that is this access to a gun that's not stored properly. The other is the influence of the gun industry and in directly marketing to our kids. So in California, we've, again, enacted just this last session, Governor Newsom signed another law that is going to be able to hold them accountable just like you would for the tobacco industry. You can't market to kids. You can't market cigarettes to kids. You can't market assault weapons to kids. It's, again, common sense. But that accountability piece was missing. I think here in Claremont and at Pomona and Laverne, we have school board elections coming up. And so we need to ask our school board, those running for office, where do you stand on this? Are you a gun sense candidate. You can go to Moms Demand Action website to find out more information about the gun sense candidate policies. But we need to make sure, you know, are we going to be talking about mental health? Are we going to be giving these resources home to parents? Our senator, our state senator, Portentino, authored a bill that Governor Newsom signed this last session that requires school districts to send home safe gun storage information to families. So we need to be there on September 18th for their first meeting saying, hey, what's the plan? When is this going out? Is it going out this year? We need to know because we want to support you and we want to make our schools safer. But we recognize part of that is keeping them safe at home first. Now to the school board members subject, I've asked, I think, all but one so far of these running school board members to come on the program. I'll commit to you to ask them that question. I'll be there. Oh, you want to come with it? <laughs> no, I, when they're recording, just like we are here in the park today with the bees and a uh, few too many bugs, I'll make sure I ask them those questions. Fantastic. I mean, and some of them are running unopposed, so there isn't really a choice. There, again, is a but, perfect segue and a great example on why it is important for us to stay engaged. I, too, was a little discouraged when I saw that. Because I think democracy in general functions better when you have 
any um, choice whatsoever. Yes, and choices. And again, I think that we have a solid base of laws in California to help make sure our kids are safe. But there is a growing movement to militarize schools, and we need to make sure that isn't brought into Claremont. And that that isn't brought into Pomona or Laverne or Upland. It's not effective. There's no data to support it. And we need to make sure that our candidates have the common sense perspective on guns that most Americans share. In Claremont, we run the gamut between the folks who I personally don't understand at all who want to defund the police and remove the SROs. Others maybe remove the SROs, right? The safety resource officers, is that the right? I think that's what they're called, yeah. Yeah, yeah, from the schools. And yet in other areas, they're like, oh, no, you should have teachers looking at Michael Corleone's bodyguards in The Godfather, where they're walking around with a shotgun over their arms. Like, where in the continuum do you think we need to be? Do we need to have armed officers on campus? Do we need to just have teachers have the pack and heat? I don't think that's what you're after. No. At all. No. And I don't mean to make light of it, but that's not it. So where in the continuum of nothing to something extreme would Moms Demand Action be? The guiding principle for Moms Demand is prevention-based. Correct. And enforcing the laws that we have. Number one, enforcing the laws that we have. Prevention-focused. We're focused on safe storage. Again, the guns do not fall upon the school from the heavens above. They come Somebody from somewhere. Somebody brings them in. Somebody brings them in. They have to have access to them. And we know from the data, from the incidents you can look at nationwide, they're, they're either not getting them legally, they're getting them from family members. There's a straw purchase, like again in Highland Park. They have different gun laws that are more lax, but you had a Father, I can barely speak when I think about it. Like, I would never in a million years purchase my teen a weapon because I know that his brain is not going to be fully formed till well into his college years. That, but yes. any father who would doesn't. Yes. And so we have to do everything we can to help prevent that from happening. Again, I think that if you talk to any teacher, and I happen to have a couple in my family, they are so stressed right now. These are people that care for our children in ways that shape them for the rest of their lives. They're incredible human beings. And to even think of asking them to do something like this is beyond description. They're no teacher I know wants to pick up a gun and shoot another student. That's just, it's... Or really anybody. Or anybody. The answer, again, is not militarizing civil society. This is not what we're doing. This is not what Mom's Demand is doing, and we're making progress. But the other side is pushing back because there's big money behind it on bringing these kind of weapons into schools and arming teachers and all the paraphernalia that goes with it. It's just an economy. It's just a way of making money. And But it's making money off the backs of dead children, and it needs to stop. So that's where we come in. Okay, so then locally, who do you like, who do you not, as far as candidates? On candidates for school board? Or, or candidates, just... period. City council, school board, you name it. Who is Moms Demand Action identified as those who are on board with common sense gun ownership? Right now, I don't know that any of the candidates are certified as gun sense candidates. And so I hope my question to them will be, are you? Okay. We'll Have ask you? that and here on Claremont Speaks as we can. So I think, again, for, for all candidates, it's are they a common sense gun candidate? Are they going to support the laws that that we have here in California that we know are working? Or are they going to swing towards trying to, to go in a direction that we've said, no, we've already said no, we don't want to go that way. And for folks in Claremont, I think it's important specifically to know that it can happen. You, know, you look down what happened in Yorba Linda, school board membership is very important. It can swing wildly. So again, my my exertion to everyone, whether you're in Pomona or whether you're in Laverne or Claremont, is to get engaged and to get informed and figure out, okay, who's running and what are their positions on this? Because this is important to me as a community member or as a parent. This is important to me. So let's pretend one of our listeners, they're at a meeting 
They're at a meet and greet. They're at a kickoff meeting or something like that. To me, they would say, are you a gun sense candidate? And whoever is going to go, oh, yeah, whatever that you want to hear. But I would think some more in-depth questions prior to that that maybe you could tell us would be in order. It's what would you do if this? How do you promote that? What, In other words, what would you do not to ask them, are you a gun sense candidate? Because they're just going to go say yes, because that's going to get your vote. What would you ask them to tell if they are or not? I would like to know, first and foremost, are you going to support the laws that we have on the books already? Are you supportive of a prevention-based approach to this problem? Are you going to prioritize getting information home to parents about safe storage, about mental health issues? Are you going to promote a trauma-informed approach to this issue as opposed to a militarized approach to this issue. Because, again, referencing back to an article in The Courier recently where I believe it was a student writer, and I may be wrong on that, interviewed students about how they felt about shooter drills and whether they felt that they were effective. And I had to first sit down and think about the tragedy that this conversation is so normalized, right? That we're asking, we're interviewing our kids as to whether these drills that involve their life or death are effective or not. What do they think about those? That is a bad state of affairs that we're in. I would think that people would be all for them. No, the evidence is not there to support that they're effective. The evidence that the drills is, don't necessarily help? That they don't necessarily help and that they just go to further traumatize our kids. So I okay. think we need to have a, a bigger conversation about this. Again, we're so lost that we're asking our kids, right? The fact that we put you through this and we remind you on the regular that you can be shot in your classroom how effective are these? Come on. We can do better as a society. We can do better for our children. The best examples of the impact of this come from the folks that are feeling it the most. So I like to share a story that was shared to me by one of our moms in our local team. It's from the perspective of kids with special needs. Having to come up with unique ways to teach them about drills and characters to become and explore in order to follow these drills and why. Teachers having to plan out in advance, okay, how am I going to help this kid who has more needs versus this one who doesn't? Picking and choosing. The fact that we're even asking them to go through these assessments is just tragic. And so again, go back to the root go back to the causes, go back and prevent this from happening and let teachers be teachers and kids be kids. And we need to focus on ways to solve this that allows them to be children, especially this generation of kids who have grown up just inundated by gun violence and then had to live through COVID. We need to give them their childhood and do better as adults. Okay. So then maybe that's a perfect segue to a few questions I asked just about everybody at the end. Everyone that's stuck with us so far, and I think they should have, what would you like the listener to most remember about what we've talked about today? I can make a change. I can do something about this. I hope that folks walk away listening to this a little bit more informed and a lot more empowered. That it inspires them to do something and get involved. And then the second question is, what is something you would like them to do after having listened to this? What's the call to action? Join the team. Sign up. Come volunteer. We will gladly accept any support that you have, whether it's an hour, whether it's two, whether it's a $10 donation, whatever it is. Get engaged with this group because we're here for you. Okay. You have hit the nail on the head. That is perfect. Why? Because that moves us right into shameless self-promotion. Where do they get a hold of you? You want them to join the team? Tell them how to do it. What's the website? What's the phone number? What's the email? Go. 
momsdemandaction.org. They can log in online. They can sign up to volunteer. They put in their zip code and it will drive them right to us. I'm here. I'm accessible. You can always reach out to me by email. What email is that? Wendy Ramallo, R-A-M-A-L-L-O at gmail.com. We have a Facebook page, Pomona Valley Moms, that they can go to to get regular information. But really the best way to get involved is to get logged in as a volunteer, and then you will have all kinds of opportunities presented to you, whether they are at the local level, whether they're at the state level. So go online and fill out that volunteer form, and let's get moving. And let's get moving is mostly, like you say, demand action. action. Demand action. Yeah, I like that. Take action. Yes. Are there meetings they could attend? Well, yes. Right now, I think that the first meeting that everyone needs to keep their eyes on is the first school board meeting. Oh, no, I meant Moms Demand Action meetings. Yes. If you reach out to me and get on our Facebook page, then we'll give you updates on when we have local meetings or when we're going to have specific event for local to Pomona, Claremont, Laverne, and Upland. And then you're going to show a strong presence then, is that it, at the, the first school board meeting? Yes. Yes, sir. Tell us about that. We want to know what the plan is. This is the step that we need to take for prevention, that our California legislature and our governor put in place a law that's going to help facilitate this, getting this information home to parents. And so we need to know what the plan is from our school boards on getting this done. Again, my experience with government, God bless, is that, you know, we'll we'll start something now and it ends up happening two years later. No, this is a now. This is a priority right now. Parents need it right now. One of the things you spoke about early in our conversation was accountability. Mm-hmm. And that's really why I asked you for the specific questions to ask the gun sense candidates, not just are you or aren't you, but mm-hmm. are you going to do X, Y, and Z? Because these are actions that you can go back to them a year or more or less later and say, where are we on this? You said you were going to do it. What happened? Is that your plan is to keep on them? Oh, yes. And I'm going to encourage each of them to go to Moms Demand Action and get certified as a gun sense candidate. There we go. So. Nice. Alrighty, then is there anything else that you would like to have Claremont know about you, Moms Demand Action, anything as a way of capping this off? I look forward to meeting everyone. 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 I have high hopes. You will please accept my invitation to come back on to tell us how all this did for you. I'd like nothing more than some months from now you to come back on and say, yes, as a result of your podcast, this and this happened. Will you do that for me? Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. And everybody else. Lovely conversation. Thank you so much, Russ, for having me on. I appreciate it. Wendy, my pleasure. Thank you so much for being on. We look forward to having you come on again. And thank you, Claremont, for listening. And I hope you'll be here next time when Claremont Speaks.